Would you take your Bible today, turn to Psalm 85 this morning, the book of Psalms. The Psalms, this collection is what was referred to as the Hebrew hymn book for the Jewish nation. Somewhere around the just two or three hundred years before Christ, through the days of the Lord Jesus, when they would worship, they would sing from this collection. And it, uh, over in Ephesians, where it talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, though that's the kind of music we ought to sing and we ought to be a part of, by the way. And we do that here, all three, all three kinds. We sing hymns. A hymn is a song about the character and the nature of God. A spiritual song is what we would call a, like a testimony song or a, a, we call them gospel songs or a Christian, some sort of scripturally Christian-themed song. But a psalm, a psalm is God's word put to music. And instead of it just being read, it would be sung. It would be played a tune would be played, and that's what these are. So, really, we ought to be singing them <laughs> uh, this morning. We uh, not just read it, but we sing it. And uh, so, I don't know what the tune was. So, I'm going to spare you on even trying. But that's what they would do. That they, they would sing these. The Psalms are powerful for a number of reasons. They're powerful because we know it's the Word of God. We believe these were divinely inspired by the Lord. So it's God's Word. So it's powerful. But they're powerful for another reason. Because a psalm more than likely had a, had a history behind it. It had a background. There was a reason why it was written. Most of the psalms were written by individuals who were right then going through something, something negative, uh, a trial. We, we know that David wrote many of the Psalms. He didn't read, write all of them. He wrote most of them, though, many of them. Uh, David is called the psalmist of Israel. His Psalms were born out of personal experience. And this morning, we come to a Psalm, Psalm 85, that was born out of personal experience. We do not believe David. In fact, we're fairly certain David didn't write this psalm. This was written many years, hundreds of years after David's death. David was not alive when this psalm was penned or even referring to the incident that it's referring to. We're not sure who wrote this. Obviously, it was a musician who had returned back to Jerusalem following what was called the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, give or take. The citizens of Jerusalem and the Jews had been taken and were taken into captivity. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, had come in and literally demolished Jerusalem. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Jerusalem wasn't just their hometown. It wasn't just their home where they lived. It was the centerpiece of their life. 
It was the centerpiece, and this is hard for us to understand because we as Christians really don't have any city that we feel this way towards. They didn't just have patriotic feelings about Jerusalem. They had spiritual, religious feelings toward Jerusalem. It was, in their minds, the epicenter of their worship. It was almost as if that they couldn't exist. They could no longer go on as long as there was no Jerusalem or as long as Jerusalem was lying in waste and decimated. And that's exactly what was happening. Jerusalem was flattened. The walls had been torn down. The temple had been destroyed, at least to a certain degree. Many of the buildings had been turned to rubble. It is even said that wild beasts began to inhabit certain parts of the city because most of the inhabitants were taken away. You can imagine a city like New York City or L.A., a city that was inhabited. And again, I'm trying to get us in 2017 to understand something that took place centuries and centuries ago. But can you imagine a place that once was thriving and it was uh, 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 filled with bustle and hustle and people and, 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 and life and, and vigor and then in a matter of just years it has deteriorated and, and, and now uh, uh, wild beasts inhabit it. Brush has grown up everywhere. The walls are demolished. That was the context of Psalm 85. They had been allowed through the Persians to return back to Jerusalem, but what were they returning back to? Rubble. Disarray. Disrepair. And the disrepair and disarray of the city only mirrored the disrepair and the disarray of their own private life and private world. The vast, vast, vast majority of these that were returning back to Jerusalem were born into captivity. They had never even laid eyes on a Jerusalem ever. They they were children of the captivity. Now even the ancient ones who were children when they left Jerusalem can barely remember what it was like. And they're coming back to this Leftover mess. That's the heart behind the psalmist. And I want you to look in verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people Thou hast covered all their sins. And by the way, every one of us in this room ought to say a hearty amen to that reality. That God has done that for us. He's chosen to do that through Christ and the sacrifice of the cross for us. Verse 2, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Selah, which means... Think. Meditate on it. Stop. Stop reading for just a second and think back about what was said. And we do that. 
We stop and pause and meditate and think about the sacrifice of Christ that in our lives has made it possible for us to have forgiveness of our sins. Verse 3. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, that wrath that was poured out upon God's own people 70-some years before. And that was an act of God's wrath. That was an act of God's justice as he poured out judgment on sin, listen now, on his own people. Allowed them, even sent the Babylonians as his instruments to take them off into captivity. And so now the writer says, now Lord, you've turned away from your wrath. You've taken it away. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. All these individuals had to do if they ever wanted to consider how God felt about sin was to think back about what he allowed the Babylonians to do. That was just a drop in the bucket of how God feels about our personal sins. Friend, listen carefully this morning. Let's never, never think that God winks at our sin. Never ever think that God turns a blind eye to our sin. Never ever think for one second that God goes easy or light when it comes to sin. Once again, all you have to do to be reminded of how God thinks about sin is look at Calvary. Look at the cross and look at the wrath that he poured out on his own son. That's how God thinks about sin, about our sin. So keep reading in verse 4. Turn us, O God of our salvation. Cause thine anger toward us to cease. It's interesting. He said, now Lord, turn us. In other words, Lord, turn us back to you. Turn us around. God, turn our face towards you. Turn us away from where we're headed. Turn us away from wrong thinking. Turn us away from wrong living. Turn us away from a wrong way to approach you and think about you, God. Turn us back. Well, that needs to be our prayer this morning. God, turn us back. In my life, turn my attention back. Turn my affection back. Turn my heart back to you. Verse 5 is our, uh, Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Or in other words, Lord, how long is your anger towards us going to continue? God, when will it end? When will there be a restoration? When will your favor be turned back to your people? When will you turn your attention back on us in a favorable kind of a way? And then verse 6, notice it with me please. Wilt thou not revive us again? Lord, will you ever revive us? Lord, will you ever restore? Lord, will you ever will you ever come to your people who are absolutely desperate for you? And will you rekindle what we once had? 
will you once again shine your face upon us in your favor and in your blessings? Lord, will you stir within us? Will you revive us and bring us back to where you want us to be again? Lord, will you not do that? What a prayer. What a wonderful prayer for us to pray this morning. What a prayer for us to pray daily. What a prayer for us not just to pray and to say, but to live out. Lord, would you revive us again? Would you restore your people again? And then he gives the reason that thy people may rejoice in thee. Lord, once again, we want to rejoice in thee. We want to get back to the place where God is our joy. God is our salvation. God is our strength. God is our delight. Not things, not a city, not a group of people, not a building, but you, Lord. We want to rejoice in you again. In three weeks, our church is going to have a series of meetings and services. And unless God shows up, that's all they're going to be. Just something on a schedule. We call the services revival. We've got it on the calendar. We've got special preachers that are going to come in. Some of the finest that you'll hear anywhere. But if the Lord doesn't show up, and if God doesn't move, and if God doesn't speak, there's no reason for us to even meet. When I was a kid, I was 11, I wasn't even a teen, I got saved. And the church I went to, shortly after I got saved, they began announcing revival. Now, I wasn't raised in a Baptist church. I got saved in a Baptist church. I wasn't raised in a Baptist church. And so I wasn't, I, I didn't know what revival was. I knew it obviously had to be something special because they kept announcing it every service, every service, every service. And I probably remember some things maybe from television back in the day, you know, late 70s, early 80s. I got saved in 83. And that word revival, 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 it conjured up images of religious things, church-related things. And I, I, really, I really didn't know what to expect. I just knew it was special. I knew that the preacher wanted everybody to show up. I knew that it was extra nights in the week. And back then, brother, you went all week long, you know. Can I get a witness and amen? You know, you didn't cut it short on Wednesday night. You went all week. And some of y'all are like, bless Pat, I remember when we'd go two or three weeks, get some of that, you know. But we went all week, brother, and I thought, man, isn't that odd, man? We're gonna, I'm not sure we, but Friday night, we're going to be in church even on Friday night, you know. Yeah, revival. And my mom, stepdad, you know, they're, they're, I, I remember him talking about, well, are, do we, 
Do we want to go? Do we want to go tonight? Do we want to go this week? And, you know, when, when do we want to go? And I, I, I think we ended up going maybe every night. And I remember uh, it, it was Dr. Joe Ainge. How I many of you ever heard Dr. Joe Ainge preach, brother? And he was about that tall. But when he came over that pulpit, he was, I mean, oh, he'd come over that pulpit and sling that back leg up. And his arm was only about that long. But he had a finger that pointed all the way, reached all the way to the back row. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And he, and he had this piece of hair that would flip up like that and come back down. Some of y'all remember him from Bible college, right? Hey, hey, but you talk about a preaching machine. Talk about a man of God. I remember sitting there thinking, wow. (laughs) You know, I wanted to confess my sins, your sins, sins I'd never thought about committing. Revival. I just remember how electric and I use that term in a good way. How like, special. It was special. It was just special. And even as an 11-year-old new convert, I knew, I knew there was something different about this thing called revival. Revival is an English word. <laughs> Obviously, it means to revive. What does it mean to revive? Revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. I like that. An improvement in the condition. The strength is improved. The condition is proved. It means an instant of something being important again. I like that. Something that used to be important that isn't that important anymore, it's, it's revived, and the importance of it is brought back. I really like that. Man, as I think about us, okay, I think about us, I think about our church. I think about a lot of things, I think about our individual lives, and that's why this morning uh, uh, we're talking about revival in the heart, because gang, gang, listen, revival takes place in your heart long before it takes place anywhere else. And it'll never take place in the church until it's taking place in your heart, you see. Next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about revival in the home. And I'm telling you, I want you to be here next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday. Revival in the home. And then our last Sunday before revival, we're going to talk about revival in the harvest. How does it impact our community, our city, our county? Because it does. But it starts in the heart. It starts when some things in your spiritual life that have kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit, and in my life, fallen by the wayside, it starts when those things become important again. Verse 6, he says, Lord, will you not revive us again? Will you not restore these things again that we can rejoice in thee? Let me give you 
three core convictions. Listen carefully. Three core convictions that ignite revival. If you're still with me, say amen this morning. Conviction number one. I am broken. I'm broken. Let me say it this way. I'm a mess. You can't help but get that sense as you read Psalm 85 and you understand the background, you understand the context. Man, they were a mess. An absolute mess. Jerusalem was a mess. Their nation was a mess. Their city was a mess. That only mirrored the individual lives of the people. Revival will never occur. It'll never happen until you and I realize that we have needs and we're a mess and we struggle and we sin and we need the touch of God and we're broken people. Hey, hey, you keep, keep going on in your pride and see where that gets us in revival. You keep going. You keep acting like that everybody else has problems except you. And we'll see how, how much revival happens in this place. I'm telling you right now, it won't happen. It won't happen to you. It won't happen to me. As long as we continue to think that, you know what? I'm not a mess. I'm not broken. No, let me help you, my dear precious friend. You're broken and so am I. I want you to, I want you to think about this. Write this down, at least in your heart. Nancy Lee DeMoss was her author. She said, we will never meet God in revival until we first meet God in brokenness. It will never happen until you and I first come to a place of brokenness. Remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, listen, when he saw his vision of God. He saw God high and holy and lifted up. He saw God as separate from his creation. And he saw God as infinitely righteous and holy. And he gets down to verse 5. And he's seen all this. He's seen the angels praising the holiness of God. And he's sitting there and he's like, Woe is me, verse 5. In other words, the word woe was used when they knew that they deserved God's judgment. It was the strongest word for the wrath of God in the Old Testament. And he says, woe is me, I am undone. Literally, it's the idea of I've come completely unraveled. You ever, uh, you ever had a loose piece of thread on a shirt or a garment? And little kids are, are just infamous for this, and so am I. So I'm a big little kid, all right? You start pulling that string. Well, I'll just pull it until it just comes out. Or I'll just pull it because it can't be all that long. And you pull and pull and pull and pull. And then the string is like 20 feet long after that. You know what I'm saying? And your wife comes up and says, why did you do that? How hard is it just to take a pair of scissors and cut it? Well, I don't know. I just something about it. I just want to pull it. <laughs> look at what you've done. <laughs> and like half the shirt's gone now, you know. <laughs> I know that's never happened to anybody. <laughs> that's the idea of the word undone. It means I'm completely unraveled. And now it's a big ball of mess. 
and I can't put it back together. It's a good day. It's a good day as a Christian when you realize that our sins now, listen, our sins now have left us undone. We're a mess. We could read loads of scripture this morning. We could read Daniel 9, 3 through 10, where Daniel, uh, uh, who, who was a righteous man, and he's confessing his sins and the sins of the nation before God. And he's saying, Lord, we're ashamed. When's the last time you were ashamed of your sin? Stop calling it a mistake. Stop calling it an error in judgment and call it what God calls it. He says, it is a sin. Daniel, Ezra 9, 5 through 7, here's what he said. He said, I rose from heaviness. I rent my garment and I tore my mantle, my robe. I fell on my knees. I spread out my hands unto God. And I said, oh my God, I am ashamed. I blush to lift my face to thee, oh my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head. Our trespass has grown up to heaven. Since the days of our father have we been in a great sin, a great trespass. Our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the land. Nehemiah 1 verse 4, Nehemiah uh, had received word. He had never even been to Jerusalem. He was born into captivity. And he hears from his relatives that, that, and fellow Jews that Jerusalem is destroyed and left in ruins. And he said, it came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and I cried, I wept, and I mourned for days. And I fasted. And I prayed to the God of heaven. And then beginning in verse 5, he begins to confess sin. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. And my friend, God said in that verse, he said, I will revive the humble, but I will resist the people that are proud. Psalm 51 verse 10, David prays and he said, Lord, renew a right spirit inside of me, Lord. My spirit is wrong. James 4 verse 8 says, draw not to God, he'll draw not to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Stop. Time out. He's writing to believers. And he says, believers, your hands are sinful. You're guilty before God. Clean up your hands. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded people. Again, I say, we'll never meet God in revival until we meet him broken over our sin. That's conviction number one. Conviction number two, only God has what I need. Nobody can give it to me but God. Nobody has the solution but God. Sixteen times at least, sixteen times in these thirteen verses, 
a direct appeal to God is made. Oh Lord, oh Lord, thou, thou, you, Lord, God, thou, you. I appeal to you. I'm calling on you. Why did he say that so many times in just a handful of verses? Because he understood only God could give them what they needed. Only God can do in your life and mine what you need this morning. You can't manufacture that. You can't make it happen. You can't snap your fingers and just poof, it appears. He's our source. If we're going to get clean, He's the one that's going to clean us up. If we're going to get right, He's the one that's going to make us right. If we're going to get restored, He's the one that's going to bring the restoration. He's the only one that can do it. He, he alone has what we need, what we must have. Nobody else can do that. Final conviction. I want you to listen to me. Conviction number one, I am broken. Conviction number two, only God has what I need. Conviction number three, I am desperate to meet his conditions. In verse 8 of Psalm 85, this same psalm, notice what he said. Look, look at verse 8. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I'm going to tune my ear into his voice. And we need to get on God's frequency today. And we need to ask Him for help to drown out all the other voices that we hear every day throughout the day and say, Oh God, I gotta hear your voice because you're gonna tell me what I need to do. I'm a mess. You alone have what I need. I have sin in my life. You're going to tell me what to do to get it right. I've hurt you. I've offended you. You're my ultimate source. You're my only source. And because of that, then I'm going to listen intently more than ever to what you're going to say. And God's Holy Spirit will tell you. He does give us an insight. Go to Second Chronicles 7, please. Would you do that as we draw this to a close this morning? Listen carefully now. We say this is a classic passage on revival. I'll say this in its context. He says this to the nation, and he's speaking of restoration, national restoration. But what he says specifically is good for individuals. And can I say that's where it starts? 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, called by my name, here it is, humble themselves. You, you want to see revival come to your heart? It starts with humility. And humility says, I'm going to get honest enough, God, for you to show me my sin. I'm going to get honest with you. Holy Spirit, when you speak, I'm going to acknowledge it. I got issues. 
get to the place in your life when when the Spirit of God speaks to you, just own up to what He says. Resist the urge to save face. Don't pass the buck. It's just you and God. He knows. Let him speak. But you won't hear him. You won't hear him and I won't either if we don't get humble. Humility. And then he says, seek my face and pray. I put those two together. Seeking God in prayer. I'm going to seek you, Lord, in prayer. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to do in my life what you want done, Lord. I'm going to pray and pray. I'm going to seek you like I hadn't in a long time. He says, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll seek me in prayer. And then he closes the verse out. He says, and turn from your wicked ways. Repent. Stop your sin. Stop. Quit. Stop it. Don't do it. Drop it. Walk away. How good are you at repenting? Are you to the point in your life you're willing to meet God's conditions? I'm going to ask you to join with me this morning in these three resolutions. I want you to want you to lean in and listen now. Lean forward. Wake up. Put your ears on, good buddy. Listen. Resolution number one. For the next three weeks, pray five times a day for personal revival. Say, five times a day? I can't remember to do anything five times a day. Five times a day? Yep. Let me help you. When you first wake up in the morning, for the next three weeks, next 21 days, your first conscious thoughts, when you wake up tomorrow morning, say, Lord, revive my heart. God, revive me. God, help me. Lord, you know what I need. Show me what I need, Lord. And then when you eat breakfast, God, will you revive me? When you eat lunch, pray. God, would you revive me? When you eat supper, Lord, will you revive me? Will you speak to me? And then right before you lay your head down, say, God, that's five. God, will you revive me? pray that prayer over a hundred times I guarantee you God will answer I'm not being silly I'm trying to be helpful will you will you join with me in the next three weeks in praying that prayer five times a day it's a prayer of scripture will you revive me God will you revive me so you know you're praying according to the will of God that's a prayer he's going to answer right 
Can I get an amen right there? Will you join with me in that? Second resolution. For the next three weeks, live by this motto. More scripture, less screens. Some of you, that won't help you because you don't mess with screens. This right here. This right here keeps a lot of us from growing. This right here, somebody just sent me a message. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You stink. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Hey. If you're my generation, am I telling the truth? Okay, if you're my generation, am I telling the truth? Yeah, you know I am. You know I am. More scripture, less screens. Next three weeks. I'm not saying go on a social media boycott. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's wicked of the devil. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, will you join with me the next three weeks and just saying more scripture, less screens. Final resolution. You like you had me with the first one, but I ain't so sure about that one. Final resolution for the next three weeks. Get ready to pray now. For the next three weeks, pursue Jesus. And fall in love with him all over again. That's what we say to couples when they're in trouble. Here's what we say. Get back to the basics of what you used to do. And how you used to treat one another. And how you used to pursue one another. How you used to treat and talk one another and how you used to really love one another and man you used to write each other you used to do sweet things for one another you used to hey get back to that and I'm asking you this morning will you return back to really pursuing the lover of your soul because he has written us a love letter He has given us a way to talk to him. And he has told us all we need to do to show our love for him. And that's just to do what he says. Will you pursue Jesus again? Will you get back to pursuing his heart? Will you get back to viewing his cross and his sacrifice? Because I'm telling you this, you can't gaze at Calvary and not get more madly in love with Jesus. Will you do that? Because we ain't playing games here. Revival is the desperate need of the hour. And it's desperate for my life and yours. And it's desperate for our church. And it's desperate for our families. It's desperate for our future. Will you join me in making these three resolutions? You're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. You've never been saved. 
I'm going to ask you today to come and give your life to Christ. Some of you feel that this is where God would have you join and be a part of God's work here through this local church. I'm going to ask you to come. Some of you need to follow Christ in believer's baptism. I'm going to ask you to come make that commitment. And then I'm asking all of us in this room, listen carefully. Listen, I'm asking all of you in this room. I'd love for us to join each other at the altar this morning and make these resolutions to God. Oh, you don't have to make these. But will you make a resolution to God that says, Lord, I enter in to this passionate pursuit of Christ in a passionate pursuit for your presence. Will you join me, church? And that's your choice and your decision. I'm not going to get, it's, it's not about have to, guilt tripping, all that kind of mess. I'm through with that junk. I'm asking you, can we pursue Christ together for the next three weeks and just see what God does? Let's have a time of prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed.